So what we're talking about this uh, series is uh, one month to live. What if you had one month left? And so we're going to get into that in, uh, in just a minute. Before we do, let me tell you about, first of all, that song we just sang blows me away every time we sing it. And our band did an awesome job. And, uh, you know, and, and if, uh, if that's the first time you heard it or, or whatever, and go home, go on iTunes, download it. Um, it's called he, How He Loves Us by John Mark McMillan, right? And the guy who sings it or who wrote it. And, and, uh, but that line where it says, if grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. And that's, that's the ocean I want to be sinking in because I need it. And, uh, and, and maybe you're here today and, and you need it too. This is not a place, if you're perfect, if you got it all together, go to another church, okay? Because this is a place for people who admit that, that we struggle, admit that we're going to do the best that we can to follow Jesus, and we need His grace. We need His mercy. And I'm in daily, daily need of that grace and mercy. I'm far from perfect. And so I just want to tell you that up front as, as the guy who's, who's standing up here because if this is, this is your first Sunday or you've been here just a couple of times and you've heard me speak, a lot of times you can think that the person on stage, uh, that you know he's got it all together and he's perfect. But I'm going to tell you, everyone so far who's been on this stage today, me, Donnie, uh, Chris, the rest of the band, none of us are perfect. Now, if Jesus walks out here later, he's perfect, all right? He'll be the perfect guy on stage. But for the rest of us, uh, we need uh, the grace of God. We need to be sinking in that ocean. So anyway, just wanted to, that just had that thought as we were singing that, singing that song a while ago. Uh, let me tell you about something coming up that, uh, that, that um, Donnie didn't mention to you that I want you to know about before we jump in here. Uh, a week, uh, three weeks from today, March 6th, that's on a Sunday afternoon, we're going to have partnership class. Uh, for those of you that have been coming here a while, you've heard us talk about this, but we don't call the people uh, who are here all the time, we don't call them members, we call them partners, because membership means that you're expecting to get privileges from it. Partnership means you're expected to go side by side with us and go to work. And that's what we want our folks to do is, uh, is go to work. And so we're going to have partnership class. If you think you, you've been coming here a while and you think this is the church that you want to be a part of all the time and make this your home church, uh, you can come to that and check it out. And uh, you don't have to sign the covenant at the end of the day if you don't want to, but it's a place where you come and get all the information and, uh, and find out more about Freedom Fellowship than you probably ever wanted to know and uh, find out why we do what we do and how things work around here. And then you will have an opportunity to say that you want to be a partner uh, and partner with us to try to reach this community and reach the world for Jesus. So we're glad you're here. We're, uh, we're in the middle of this series, just started last week, One Month to Live, and, and uh, just talking about what if we all lived like we realized that we were mortal, that we didn't live like we've got unlimited amount of time on this earth. What if we knew that in 30 days our time was up and whatever reason, whether it was going to be a tragic accident or a disease or something else, but in 30 days we were checking out of here and leaving earth and going to whatever is, lies next for you, whether that be heaven or whether that be hell. And so if you had 30 days to live, how would that change who you are? And I want to read you Psalm 39, 4 and 5, and this is the verse that we're using to, to jump off of every single week. And it says this, Psalm 39, verses 4 and 5. You can look at this on the screen. It says, Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life 
is but a breath. And the point of what we're doing this, this month isn't to bring you down. I don't want you to come into church every week and say, man, Cliff's still talking about death. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go somewhere else till March when we can get on to something good. I'm not trying to bring you down. But what I want you to understand is what that, those verses say are true, and especially that verse 5 where it says, each man's life is but a breath. Because we live this life thinking that this is all there is most of the time. And we make our plans, we make our, 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 uh, our schedules and everything based around the fact that, that this is it. And we live as if we have an unlimited amount of time. And a lot of times when we do that, what we begin to do is we begin to make sure that our lives are filled up with things that I, that I call urgent but are not necessarily important. See, there's some things that are, that are really important but they're not urgent. It's very important for you to spend time with your children but that might not necessarily be urgent because there might be something more urgent that you think you need to do right now and your kids, they can wait a little while. It might, I think that it's important for you to develop your relationship with your, your husband or your wife, but that might not be urgent because you can put that off. It's important to develop your relationship with Jesus, but that might not be urgent right now. Because there's other things that are staring you in the face that have to be done today or by the end of this week or by the end of the month. And if I believe that if we were, knew we had one month left to live, we would begin to live more in the important realm and less in the urgent realm. And we would start to put off some of those things that are, that are urgent and begin to live based on things that are more important. Last week we talked about a dangerous word is someday. Remember we talked about saying, uh, hey, someday I'm going to do this, someday I'm going to do that can be dangerous because you might not ever get to someday. Well, today I want us to talk about something that's, that's even more dangerous than taking today for granted, and that is if we take eternity for granted. There's a life that's going to come after we leave this earth, and if we don't focus on what that's going to be like, and if we don't try to gear our lives towards getting us ready for that, then we're going to take eternity for granted. What I'm talking about here is perspective. Now, you know what perspective is in terms of like a picture. I've got a picture here that demonstrates perspective. So check this picture out. Now, you, you see what you're looking at there, but you know it can't be true, right? It looks like that this is like a six-inch girl that another girl is holding in her hand. But we all know what's really happened here, that this girl that looks like she's in the hand is really further away. And by the way the picture is taken, it looks like that this other person is holding her in her hand. That's what perspective is. And we all look at life through a perspective. And all of us, in our perspective, whatever it might be, it's, it, it determines what decisions we make. It determines the way we think about people and the way we think about things. I'll give you the, the best example I can think of about perspective is this that most of you that live in this state will understand. If you're a Carolina fan or a Clemson fan, you see things through a certain perspective. And your perspective, and listen, I'm a Carolina fan, so I'm talking about me, all right? If you're a true Gamecock fan or true Tiger fan, your perspective is so screwed up that you cannot view anything that the other team does realistically. When when C.J. Spiller was playing for Clemson, he was one of the most talented football players, and it's, this is making me sick to my stomach to say this. <laughs> he is one of the most talented football players, one of the fastest guys that's ever played football in the state of South Carolina. He's not the most talented. All right, there was a guy that won the Heisman back in 1980. We'll talk about that later. But he is, 
I just had to throw that. But C.J. Spiller was one of the most talented guys I've ever seen play football. No lie. But when he was playing for Clemson, us Gamecock fans, we would not acknowledge anything he did as being good. We said he was soft. We said that, that he was a baby. We said that uh, he was overrated, that he only piled up those numbers because he played in the ACC, all that kind of stuff. And now Clemson fans, you're the same way. This past year, Carolina won the SEC East and went to play in the SEC championship game, and y'all are like, oh, that's only because Tennessee ain't no good anymore in Florida. Y'all ain't really that good, you know, that kind of stuff. That's just the way we are as fans. We have a warped perspective, and we can't see things realistically. Well, all of us live on this earth, we see things naturally from a worldly perspective. We see things from an earthly perspective. And just like for Carolina fans and Clemson fans, it warps our reality. It warps the way we see things. And we are surrounded by this earthly, worldly perspective wherever we go. We're, we're bombarded with it on TV, uh, in, in music, in the movies. Everywhere you go, what we are seeing things through is the lens of what's important for this earth and this earth only. And we don't see hardly any example of people who are living for eternity who are living uh, through the perspective of saying, I'm going to do what's important not for this earth, but I'm going to do what's important for that will last for eternity. And so it's natural for us to have this warped view of reality and to see things that, that like, like we understand, we think that we understand what's really going on, but in reality, our perspective needs to be shifted and we need to begin to look at things through an eternal perspective. And so... If you, if you would be honest with, you this, if honest with yourself this morning, you would admit that you spend the majority of your time, money, and other resources on things that will not last past this earth. In other words, I spent, now, now there's nothing wrong with what I did yesterday, okay, but I spent all day yesterday trimming bushes in the yard and fixing a leaky toilet and all that kind of stuff. That's good stuff. But when this, this earth passes away, those crepe myrtles are going to burn up and that toilet's going to be gone too. And, and so it's not going to last through eternity. But I spent a long time yesterday, and all of us do that. We spend our money, our resources, and our time on things that will not last past this earth's uh, existence. And so what we've got to do is we've got to begin to understand that, that there's a life after this one, and we need to begin to have an eternal perspective instead of just an earthly perspective. So I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 4. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open to 2 Corinthians. That's in the New Testament. And it's, uh, it's after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then you get to 1 and 2 Corinthians. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm going to read three verses there, verses 16 through 18. If you don't uh, have a Bible, you can look at it on the screen says this, oh, let me tell you before, well, before I jump in, because it starts with a therefore, so I want you to tell you what the context is. Um, at the beginning of this chapter, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this, he talks about this great gift that we have in Jesus, that the grace of, uh, the grace of God now through Jesus it can be imparted into our lives, so we carry that around with us. And what he says in the beginning is, he says, we have this great gift but it's in jars of clay. So what he means by that is, is we've got this eternal gift in the grace of Jesus that's going to last forever and ever, but we have it in this body, which is like a brittle 
jar made out of clay that every time it gets knocked, something happens to it, and you know that your body is not going to last forever. Those of you that are getting older can tell the younger people, yeah, it's not going to last forever. That stuff that I used to could do, I can't do anymore. I was joking with somebody a while ago about how we can't do pull-ups anymore, about how we used to could do a bunch of them, and now you get on there and you struggle to do one, and you're kicking your legs like that's going to help you somehow to get up. And, uh, and, and so our bodies are, are fragile, and they're not going to last, but we've got this great gift of the grace of Jesus imparted into us now, but we carry it around in this body that's not going to last. And so Paul continues that idea when he gets to 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. And look at what it says. It says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Again, talking about our body. Our bodies are dying. They're wasting away. Not going to last forever. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. That's what we're talking about today. Keeping that eternal perspective. Not fixing our eyes on what's here, but on what is to come. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So I want to talk to you today about keeping an eternal perspective. And, and there's a couple of things that I think we can do if we want to try to keep an eternal perspective. Uh, one of the things I think we need to do if we're going to keep an eternal perspective is we need to change the scorecard. We need to change the scorecard. Verse 17 there says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. See, sports is not the only area where people keep score. You keep score in life whether you want to admit it or not. We all have a scorecard that we're keeping in life. And, and usually for most of us, that scorecard of life, it in, things you, you get points for are things like money, possessions, position, uh, you know, whether it's a position that you're elected to or that you got, you know, volunteered for or position at work, success in your career, good health. Those are all things that we put on our life scorecard as being good. And we look at people who have all of those things, we look at them as winners. Even though we might be haters and act like, oh yeah, I can't stand Bill Gates or whatever, but secretly you're thinking, dude, I'd take $2 billion today, right? And so, so we, we look at this, we keep this scorecard, this earthly scorecard, and we see people with those things uh, like that they, they've got it all together. And we, and we look at people as winners and losers based on the scorecard that we keep right here. But what we need to understand is there's a different scorecard being kept. And there's a scorecard being kept in heaven. And it's based on a totally different set of things than what we keep score based on here on this earth. Verse 17 there, it says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That word there that means troubles, it's the exact same word in the Greek language that means oppressing together. So if you were wanting to talk about pressing something together, you would use that same word there that, that, that is translated here, troubles. And when I, when I realized that, I thought about what Paul's talking about is he's talking about stress, he's talking about the stress of life, the pressure that you feel living on this earth. And you're all under that pressure. I'm under that pressure. We all are. And, and, and it's not only bad things that bring us that pressure, that stress. Sometimes it's good things. You have work pressure, but going to work is good, isn't it? That, that's what you need to be doing. You need to have a job. You have school pressure if you're in school. 
But learning and going to school is a good thing. But you still have that pressure. And so for us, we've got, we've got pressure, good and bad. We've got these, these things that are weighing on us. And when we look at it through the earthly perspective, when we look at it at the scorecard that we're keeping, it's easy for us to think that those things are going to last forever. And we can look at that and say, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. This is the hardest thing I've ever had to endure. And, and if, if this doesn't stop, I'm not going to be able to make it. And we just don't see any end to it, and we don't see how we can get out of it. But what does verse 17 remind us of? It says that, first of all, that pressure that you feel, it's not as bad as you think. It's light pressure. And second of all, it's not going to last forever. It's momentary. And so this stuff that you're under, that you think is going to be here forever and ever, that on the scorecards you're keeping now, it looks like it's bad and, it, and it's looking like you're losing the game of life. It says these are light and momentary things that are not going to last forever. And second of all, if you can work your way through those, if you can push through the, the bad health, if you can push through the not having enough money, if you can push through the relationship struggles, if you can push through all of those pressures and still give glory to God, still follow Him through all of that, it says that if you can push through all that, that that's going to achieve for you an, an eternal glory that's going to be way, way, way better than anything you could ever experience while you're here. So there's better stuff ahead. There's a lot better stuff ahead. But we've got to quit keeping score based on what's important here and start keeping score based on what's important in heaven where the good stuff is waiting for us. In a couple of weeks, um, Major League Baseball teams will start reporting to Florida and Arizona for spring training. And I always get excited, excited about that because I like baseball and it means wintertime is finally ending and we're getting to some springtime weather, which is great. And, uh, but but these, these guys are going to show up there and they're going to work hard for a few weeks and, and they're going to, they're gonna, at first they're going to do conditioning and other things and then they're going to start actually playing games. And they'll play games against other teams that are doing spring training in their area. Now, they keep scoring those games and, and they keep records in those games. So at the end, you know, they'll, they'll know if they had a winning or losing spring training record. But at the end of, of March, when spring training is over, no one, no one who's, who's playing baseball, no one cares about having the best record at the end of March. Why do they go to spring training? Because they want to have the best record at the end of October. That's what it's all about. And so they, even though they keep score there, at the end of March, all that scorecard is thrown out, and they're going to start keeping a new scorecard and, and, and at the beginning of April that lasts all the way through October, and that's the one that matters. Now, we need to understand that what we experience here, it's important. But this is just the preseason. Your time on this earth is not the real game. Your time on this earth is not what's going to last forever. This is the preseason, and this time is specifically designed to get you ready for the real season, which is going to start after the day you die when you walk through the gates of heaven, if you've accepted Jesus. And that's what this is all about. That's why you have this time, so that while you're here, you can either choose to accept Jesus, and then you'll spend eternity in heaven, or you can choose to reject Jesus. And by the way, if you say, I'm not making a choice either way, I'm doing my own thing, you've chosen to reject Jesus. Because if you choose your way, that's rejecting the way of Jesus. So you can either choose to accept Jesus or reject Jesus, and that will determine where you spend the rest of eternity, which is the real game that matters. This is just the preseason. When... Um, those of you that, that um, know me know that I play golf regularly. 
like once every 10 years. I'm regular about it. That's how regularly I play. In fact, I played my last round of golf a couple years ago, and I'm never doing it again, so don't ask me to come. I'll ride, I'll ride in the cart with you and look at all the pretty scenery, but last time I played, I got done, my shoulder hurt for three weeks, and I was so aggravated when I got home, and I said, and I paid money to do this stuff. So, but when I, when I play golf, I keep a different scorecard than everybody else. When you play golf, you know, you're trying to shoot in the 80s or whatever, and, or if you're really good, you know, a little below that, and, and, uh, and so you're, you're out there doing your thing. I play golf. My scorecard is I, I set out in the morning, and I'll have 15 golf balls in my bag. If I come home and I've still got 15 golf balls in my bag, that's the greatest day of golf anyone's ever played in my mind. Normally, I come home and I've lost all 15 of mine and I've borrowed five of the guy that I'm playing with. Because my scorecard has nothing to do with par and over and under par and bogeys and birdies. My scorecard has to do with how many golf balls I had at the end of the day. I keep a different scorecard. And we've got to start keeping a different scorecard while we're on this earth and start understanding that eternity is judged differently. And we need to, and we need to know that what's going on right here that's difficult, it can't last. But what's waiting for us in heaven, it can't end. And that's why we need to be focusing on that. Whatever you're going through right now, I don't care how difficult it is. I don't care how hard it is right now. It will not last. But what God has promised for you in heaven, it cannot end. And it will go on and on and on. And the little bit of time we spend on this earth, while it's important, it is just so minuscule compared to the size of eternity. And we need to keep the scorecard differently. We need to begin to understand that instead of who has the most money, which is the way we keep score here, the scorecard in heaven is talking about who's investing enough money into the kingdom of heaven. Who's giving that money away to where it can be used for eternal things. The scorecard here is being talking about position. Well, I want to have this position. I want to be elected to this. I want to be known as the best at this or the brightest at this. And in heaven, the scorecard says that the most important people are those who serve others. Here, our scorecard, we keep about how busy we are and how important we are, how much we've got going on. In heaven, the scorecard is, is kept to say, don't worry about how busy you are. How many relationships did you develop? How much time did you spend developing the relationships with your kids, with your husband, with your wife, with your neighbors, with your Savior? There's a different scorecard being kept. The second thing that I think we need to do if we're going to keep an eternal perspective, that is to set our sights on the right things. Set your sights on the right things. Verse 18 of Second uh, 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 Corinthians 4 says this, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You fix your eyes. Set your sights on the right things. A few weeks ago, or actually it's been longer than that now, it was back before Christmas, I think. We were having staff meeting one morning, and Donnie was drinking a Diet Coke. Donnie was the guy who was out here earlier making announcements, if you don't know who he is. He was drinking a Diet Coke, and he was just drinking it. And then when staff meeting ended, he took the last swallow of that, and he said, man, that was nasty. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, why is it? Well, we looked at it. It was expired. It was like a year old. Now, 
I didn't bother asking him why he drank the whole thing. Y'all can ask him that on your own, but he did. It wasn't until the last swallow that he decided it was nasty. And so we looked, and we had, I don't know, a couple of cases of expired drinks there in the office. It was sometime we had done something and, and uh, used Cokes, and, and they hadn't gotten used, and they got pushed back in the back of the storage room, and we had brought them out and put them in the fridge for people to drink, and they were expired. So we, I said, well, we need to throw these away. Well, Chris says, man, we ought to do something fun like shoot them. <laughs> and I promise you, Donnie is normally very laid back. But as soon as Chris got the word shoot them out of his mouth, Donnie said, I'm going home to eat lunch. When I come back, I'm bringing some guns. It was just that quick. <laughs> he was out the door, right? So we all went and ate lunch. And then we came back and we spent about two hours that afternoon blowing Diet Cokes out of the air with shotguns and pistols, and it was awesome, so much fun, and then Jake showed up with his, uh, we won't talk about what he's got, because, you know, the, the federal officials might come and come to the Ticknor compound, but Jake showed up with some awesome guns, too, and we just blew those things out of the water, it was great, but when you do that, you know, and, and probably chances are a lot of you have shot guns before, when you shoot a gun, you can just kind of aim generally in the right direction and fire it, but you're not going to hit anything, are you, and so, you have to take it, and if it's a pistol, you've got to bear down on it. You've got to get that sight right on what you're trying to hit, which for us was an old expired can of Diet Coke or shotgun or whatever you're shooting. You've got to set the sights on it. And then you pull the trigger, and it might be a little low or it might be a little high or off to the right or the left, and so then you make adjustments to get those sights set on what you're trying to hit. Well, in this verse, the Apostle Paul says that we're supposed to fix our eyes not on what is seen, talking about the stuff on this earth, but where do we fix our eyes? On what is unseen. We fix our eyes on the things that are going to last forever. And so we've got a choice, and we've got to figure out is, what are we aiming at? What's your target? Are you just going through life, and it's like shooting a pistol, and you're just kind of aiming and hoping you hit some stuff that will be good every now and then? Or are you getting up and you're saying, today I'm fixing my eyes on what God would have me to do that will last for eternity, and I'm going to fix my eyes on that, and I'm going to focus on that, and today that's what I'm going to try to accomplish. If we begin to fix our eyes on that, we set our sights on it, then we'll be much more successful at hitting the target that Jesus wants us to hit, instead of just going out there and doing whatever, and chances are, because we're surrounded by an earthly perspective everywhere we look, we're not going to hit the target that God wants us to hit. Now, since we're surrounded by this earthly perspective everywhere we go, how do we keep our sights set on the right thing? How do we how do, we do that? The, the shows that I like to watch on TV, they're not setting my sights on heavenly things. When I watch The Office, or when I watch Man versus Food, that's not setting my sights on earthly things, on heavenly things. It's setting my sights on earthly things. So what do I need to do? How do I keep my perspective? How do I keep my sights set on heavenly things? Now, I'm going to tell you something here that's going to blow your minds. And it's just so radical. And it, in fact, it's so brand new that you maybe have never even heard of anyone telling you to do this before. And it's, you're going to walk out of here saying, Cliff is the smartest guy that I've ever heard speak publicly in a place of worship. You ready? Here's what you need to do to keep your sights set on heavenly things. Read 
the Bible. Let me repeat it again. Read the Bible. 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 Are you got it? I know I'm being goofy about that, but it is the absolute best tool that we have to understand who God is and what He wants us to become. It is, it's all right there. And we all have them. If you don't have a Bible, tell me and we'll get you one. But chances are, you've got five to ten in your house. You've got Bibles you forgot about. We live in a country, now there are places in this world where people have to memorize the Bible because they're not allowed to have it. And people write it out by hand and pass it under tables to their, to their brothers and sisters in Christ because if they get caught with it, they'll get, go to jail. We live in a country where you can go out today and you can buy a thousand Bibles and have them delivered to your house tomorrow and no one's going to give you any kind of a, a problem with it. And we don't read it like we should. But if we want to keep our sights set on the right things, we need to read the Bible. And I'm going to give you four little tips, four truths about reading the Bible. Some of you, when you came in, you got a, um, a worship guide. On the back of it, there's a place that it says notes. Now, I don't know if you're taking notes while I'm, while I'm teaching, but I want you to write these things down. If you don't write anything else down, that's cool. But if you've got one of those and you've got a pen, write these things down because I'm going to give you four little tips just things that you need to remember about reading the Bible. And it's, and it's, not, it's not necessarily practical, day-to-day -day kind of stuff, but it's things that I want you to remember because when you read it, sometimes it can be difficult. The first one is this. When you read the Bible, it's all relevant. It's all relevant. Some of you have tried to read the Bible before, and you, you faded out on it. And I understand why, okay? You start in Genesis 1, and it's the creation story, and that's some interesting stuff. And there's good things in there. And, and then you, you get to where, where uh, God kicks Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden because they sinned, and that's some interesting stuff too. And you're, you didn't even realize that Satan came in the form of a snake, and you're trying to figure that out. And then you realize for the first time, oh, it doesn't say it was an apple. It just says it was a piece of fruit, and you didn't know that. And so all that stuff's interesting. And then you get to Genesis chapter 5. And in Genesis chapter 5, it is a long list of who was whose daddy, right? This guy was the daddy of this dude, and he lived this long. And then this dude had a baby, and he lived this long. And then he was this guy's daddy. And it just goes on and on and on. And you might read that and you think, what does this have to do with living for Jesus in 2011 in Greer, South Carolina? What has it got to do with it? And you might think that it doesn't matter. But let me tell you something. In the Bible, it's all relevant. Push through that stuff. Read through it. I'm not saying that you need to get done and be able to tell me how old these guys were and how old, how old Enoch was when God took him up to heaven and, and all that stuff. But I'm saying read through it. It's all relevant. It's all important. Because what happens is it begins to build on itself. And you begin to understand the longer you read it. And you'll read something in the New Testament and you'll say, Oh, yeah. I remember that dude was mentioned in that Genesis 5 list. And all of a sudden, it will begin to all come together for you. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says this. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower 
and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. When you read the Bible, you're reading the words of God. And Isaiah 55 promises us that when you read that, even when you don't think you're understanding it all, even when you think it's not making sense, even when you think that it's not relevant to your life, it's accomplishing the purpose for which God sent it when you read that. It's coming into your life and it's beginning to change you. Second thing is this. This one's a little longer for you to write down. Investing small amounts of time over a long period of time will change you. Investing small amounts of time over a long period of time will change you. Now, this is a, this is a principle that's true not just in reading the Bible. This is a principle that's true in, in money management, in exercise, in relationship building. This is a principle that's true in anything, but I'm talking specifically today about reading the Bible. Let me tell you what I mean by this. If you go home today, you get fired up, man, because Cliff's talking about reading the Bible. You go home, you find your Bible, you dust it off, and you say, I'm going to read the Bible. And you sit down and you read 50 chapters of the Bible today, 50 of them. When you get done, your perspective on life is not going to be that much different than it was before you started. But if you read five chapters a day for 50 years, your perspective is going to be completely different than it is today. It's not about binging. You know, you go to, the, you go to work out, you, you, you do 300 reps on the bench press in one afternoon, your chest isn't going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger's used to. You're just not going to be able to lift your arms the next morning. That's what's going to be the case. But if you do bench press work every, you know, three days or five days a week for 10 years, then you're going to see some improvement in that area. Same thing with reading the Bible. Small amounts of time invested over a long period of time are going to change your life, change your perspective. Hebrews 4.12 says this, and this is why. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's a, it's a book that's alive because the Spirit of God is, is speaking through it. And when you read it a little bit at a time every day for the rest of your life, it's going to change who you are. Now you might say, Cliff, realistically, how many days a week should I read the Bible? All of them. Cliff, come on now. You can't tell me that seven days. Shouldn't I take like Saturday off? Would you take Saturday off from eating? There's not a one of you that says, man, I only eat Monday through Friday. Saturday and Sunday, I just ain't got time to sit down at the table and make a sandwich. This is spiritual food, spiritual water, and you need it every single day. I need it every single day. And I'm going to tell you, yesterday, I was busy, like I said. We had a ball game, and then I was working in the yard and doing stuff like that, and it got to be about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I realized I hadn't read any of the Bible. And I made a commitment that I was going to read the Bible every single day. So I pulled out my phone, which has got the Bible on it, and I found the chapter where I would left off the last time, and I sat in my truck with my legs hanging out, all dirty from working the yard, and I read two chapters on this phone. Not because I'm the most spiritual guy ever, but because I realized that I need it. I need it every day. I can't live without it. 
And if, we, if you invest small amounts of time over a long period of time, it's going to change you. It's going to change the way you think. Third, third thing is this. It's an acquired taste. The Bible is an acquired taste. It was written in a different time. It's writ, all, everything that takes place was, is in a different part of the earth that most of you will never visit. It was written in a different language. So when you read it, it doesn't always at first make sense for what's going on in today's world. You've got to get used to it. It's an acquired taste. The first time you read it, it might not be great to you, but you've got to keep up with it. Now, we'll tell you something here. That, and don't, please come back to church after this week, after I tell you this. But when I thought about the, the Bible being an acquired taste, what came to my mind was beer. Okay? Some of y'all are shocked right now wanting to walk out and never come back. But don't act like y'all don't. Some of y'all, I know y'all drink beer. And y'all acting right there. Like Cliff. Cliff is so unholy because he mentioned beer. Come on. Listen. Now, I don't drink beer. And let me tell you one of the reasons why I don't. Because I can't stand the way it tastes. Because I haven't acquired the taste for it. Now, I've never drank water from a mud puddle that a dog uses for a toilet before. But I can't imagine that it's any worse tasting than beer is to me. Because when I have tasted beer, it tastes like the nastiest stuff I've ever put in my mouth and I don't ever want to drink it. But there's some of you out there that just me saying the word beer, you immediately think, man, I want to talk cool and right now. Now, why is that? That's because you've acquired a taste for it. But it took you a while. I don't know anybody that first time they drank beer said, dude, give me six more of those. The first time you drank it, you thought it was nasty. Even if you didn't tell your friends because you were trying to impress them or whatever. But you thought it was nasty the first time. Now, reading the Bible is very similar to that. Because, I know, this is so, this is so weird. But I'm trying to put it in a language where you can understand this, okay? The, the first time you read through it, the first time you read part of it, it's going to seem strange to you. And you're not going to understand it, especially some of the stuff in the Old Testament. You're going to read it, and man, you're going to think, this is crazy, what's going on here? And I don't understand why this guy did that and why he's thinking that way. But let me tell you something. You read it daily, over and over and over again. It's going to begin to make sense. It's going to begin to change the way you think. And you're going to begin to desire it and want it. And you're going to find yourself that when, when times are tough, the first thing you're going to want to do is get the Bible out and read it and try to find out what's going on. When I first started reading the Bible, I was tiny because I grew up in a, in a home where my parents taught me the Bible and gave me a Bible. And I, and I had an old King James Bible that, that I got when I was in first grade. It was bright red cover. It had the words of Jesus in red in the New Testament. They gave me that in the first grade at my first grade Sunday school class. And when I tried to read that when I was six, I didn't understand the these and the thous and the, all that kind of stuff. And it didn't make sense to me. But now that I'm 41 years old, and I've been reading the Bible for years, I've acquired a taste for it, and I love it. And I want to read more and more of it. But if I'd have put it down the first time and said, I don't like that, I'm not reading it anymore, I would have missed out on all of that. So understand that the Bible is an acquired taste. It's going to take you a little while, but push through that.
continue to read it even when you don't understand it. And then the last thing is this. It will keep you from being so easily distracted. It will keep you from being so easily distracted. One of the things that I think is true is that even when we, even when we make a commitment to focus on heavenly things, because of the world we live in, something catches our attention and it can get us off track in a hurry. And I think that if we had one month to live, we'd get our focus on heaven and we'd keep it there. And it'd be easy because we knew our time was limited. But most of us, we don't know, we don't, we don't think like we've got one month to live. So, so we're, we get distracted by stuff, by something shinier, the newest this or the newest that. I, I don't have anything against new phones, but it's, I think it's been hilarious lately where the Verizon got the iPhone, man, and everybody's got to have one of those suckers right now. Everybody's going out to get it. There's nothing wrong with that. But things like that get our attention. And, and, and they, they can pull our attention so far away that, that we're not focused on heavenly things anymore. And so the Bible will keep us from being easily distracted. If you're reading that every day, you're going to get that eternal perspective over and over and over again. And when you, when you watch whatever TV show you watch and you see what their perspective is on sex and relationships, and then you read the Bible, and you say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what my perspective is supposed to be. Even though I saw that, I'm not supposed to have that perspective, or whatever it might be. The Bible keeps us focused on the things that we can't see. So as we finish up, let me tell you what, what we're doing. What we did last week is we gave you a 30-day challenge. You remember that? By the way, we're seven days into it. I don't know how you're doing. hope you're doing great. 30-day challenge last week was to put some stuff away or put on some stuff, whatever that might be for you. This week, this is the 30-day challenge we're giving you this week, starting today. I want to challenge you to read the Bible every day for 30 days. Let me t- and if you're not used to reading the Bible, start in the New Testament, okay? The Old Testament's good stuff, but don't start there. Read that after you read the New Testament. Start in the New Testament. Pick it up today, start in Matthew, and start reading. Every day for 30 days, that's my challenge to you. Because that's going to help you keep the eternal perspective. Remember, there's a world beyond here. And we're just passing through this earth. And we've got to begin to focus on the things that are going to happen when we leave this earth. Uh, I did a funeral a few weeks ago, and when I was preparing and trying to study for that, I came across a story that I shared at the funeral that uh, I'd never heard before. But Winston Churchill, who was the um, prime minister of England during World War II, uh, he, uh, he left plans for his funeral before he died. And it was very common, and you've been to funerals like this, where when someone dies who's in the military or has a military connection, they'll play taps at the funeral. And I was at a funeral just not too long ago where at the graveside, the, the guy stood over at the side and played taps on, the, on, a, on a bugle after, after everything was over. And that's a common thing. Well, Winston Churchill, he wanted at, at his graveside there to be... Uh, guys on each end with trumpets and the first guy to play taps which is traditional which that is what's played at the end of a military day but he wanted the guy on the other end that when taps ended he wanted him to play reveille which is what's played at the beginning of a military day and he said the reason he wanted that was because he wanted everyone to remember that while his life on this earth was ending that as soon as it was over 
a new life for him was beginning in heaven. And that's going to be true for every one of you here that have accepted Jesus as your Savior. The pressure, the stuff you're under here that seems like it will never end, it's going to end, and at the moment it ends, you're going to open your eyes and you're going to have a new life in heaven. It's going to be so much better. And so while we're here, we need to be sure that not all of our focus is on this life. But we need to be focusing on what's going to happen to the next life. What are we investing? Who are you telling about Jesus so they can join you in heaven? What are you doing? What, what are you putting your money towards so that other people can be in heaven with you there? Don't focus all of your attention here. Now the last thing, and I closed with this last week too, but I just want to hit it one more time. If you're here today and you don't know if you've accepted Jesus or you're trusting in some other kind of religious system to get you to heaven, the scripture says that when your life ends, you will not begin a new life in heaven, but you will begin a new life in hell. And everything that you've experienced here that you think is bad, hell is going to be so much worse that you can't even imagine it. And the only way that you can be certain that you're going to begin your new life in heaven with Jesus is you've got to give him your life today if you haven't done that. And if you had 30 days to live, the eternal would be on your heart and on your mind very easily. Chances are you only have 30 days now or 30 years, but don't let it slip by. Don't miss the opportunity to give your life to Jesus. So I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up while I'm praying. So bow your heads and let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you give us reminders from time to time that, that this life won't last forever. Thank you for giving us the Bible to help keep us focused on the things that are unseen, what you call in the scripture eternal glory, and to get our mind off of what we're surrounded by. And Father, I pray for every person here that's heard this message. If there's anyone here that needs to accept you today, to turn over their life to you, to give up trying to earn enough and be good enough on their own, that they would accept you. That today would be the day that they would acknowledge that they've sinned and that they need Jesus. And Father, for those of folks here that are followers of you, I pray that you would convict all of us to learn more of who you are, to follow you closer, and to see things through an eternal perspective. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Come back next week and invite someone to come with you. Um, I believe that everything we do here, we want it to be a, a time where people can come with you. But this series in particular, talking about one month to live, I'm sure you can think of people that need to hear these messages. Bring them with you next week. Invite them to be here. And uh, we're going to celebrate together as we leave. So let's do that.